You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. So, doesn't the band do a great job? I don't know if you know this or not, but Kevin and Janae lead worship at Chelsea Free Methodist like every Sunday morning. And like last week, I helped them on drums and then came here and was completely burnt out. So that's how they feel like every week. So would you just give them some love right now? Really appreciate them taking us deeper into uh, God's presence. Hey, uh, we're going to be in the Bible a lot today, which is probably how every message should start. But uh, if you'd like to read along with me, Matthew 23 is where I'm going to be. Normally, you know, you can read whatever translation you want. You still can. I would suggest if you're using a phone, just switch over to ESV. That way you can just follow me easily because we're going to go, then stop, then go, then stop, then go, then stop. And uh, it might just be easier, easier to keep up with where I'm at if you're in the same translation. But up to you. You do you. Okay, so Matthew 23. Today, we are going to look at my message notes sitting on the printer. This is real football right here. I never feel bad when I make mistakes. Because I make an awful lot of mistakes. Uh, Okay, so Matthew 23 is where we're at today. We're going to talk about the good and the bad of the Pharisees, which if you're like me at first, you're like, well, you talking about the good of the Pharisees. These are like the bad guys in the Bible. Every time they show up, they're like pictured as the bad guys. In fact, Jesus's harshest words is not at sinners. It's not at uh, people caught in sin right there in that moment. Jesus's harshest words are always with the religious folk. He's the one who's like, listen up. Here's a whole stream of analogies and illustrations about how you guys have missed the point. You know, like time and time again, he's got a lot to say to them. So what are you talking about good? Well, if you pay attention to the wider picture the Bible paints, and if you pay attention to a few select moments in today's passage, you'll see occasionally Jesus will draw some recognition to some good pieces to them. Uh, which is really ironic because today's passage is, is like Jesus talking forever. Like if you opened your Bible, if you got a red letter Bible, you're just going to see red letters for pages. And it's mostly Jesus criticizing the Pharisees. But then within that, there's a few moments where he's got some things that we don't usually pay attention to. Uh, but here's what I think. I think that the Pharisees definitely had messed things up. But I imagine it wasn't so bad that like every single last Pharisee was completely devoid of morality. I think when you look at the Bible, you get a glimpse of that. Think of Nicodemus in the Gospel of John. If you know his story, like he, he sneaks out to go talk to Jesus in the middle of the night. Because he's a Pharisee, he's afraid of Jesus. But at the same time, like he wants to learn more. He's the guy who's like, how can a person be born again? Tell me more about this. So you've got one Pharisee who seems inquisitive. And then this Pharisee at the end of the Gospel of John actually helps with the process of finding like 
burial stuff for Jesus's body. So it doesn't tell us that he became a Christian or came around, but it definitely paints like an image of a Pharisee who was inquisitive. Uh, you could also look at uh, Pharisees in Acts. If you were to go to the gospel, gospel. If you go to the book of Acts, lots of people are getting saved left and right. And if you pay attention in the book of Acts, some of the people who are getting saved are Pharisees. So it shows that even though the Pharisees were a big part of the reason Jesus got killed, some of them actually came around, including one Pharisee in particular. Paul, thank you. Yes, the guy who wrote most of your New Testament was at one point a Pharisee, like one of the best of the best of the Pharisees. He had the whole thing down. And what I love to think about when it comes to Paul is this, like it wasn't that someone just finally convinced him that Jesus was the way. It was that Jesus himself finally convinced Paul that Jesus was the way. And whenever I think through that, I'm trying to imagine what that looks like from God's perspective. Because I'd be thinking like, okay, here's all these Christians I can work with. But where does Jesus have his attention in that moment? On a Pharisee. On Paul. It's like, man, if, if he just turned to me, think of all he could do. I could use him to write basically the entire New Testament. But... Who, where is God's divine attention on? It, it's Paul. It's on a Pharisee. He converts him, and Paul's zeal for Phariseeism just completely turns to zeal for Christianity. So right there, you see God seeing the good in Paul, who is a Pharisee. So all that being said, the wider picture the Bible paints is the fact that there could be some good things to the Pharisees, though Jesus certainly has mostly bad things to say about them. So we're going to go paragraph by paragraph through Mark, Matthew 23 and just hone in on the themes of each paragraph because Jesus tends to jump around a lot. So uh, let's start with paragraph one. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, sorry, he's talking now. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses's seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So let's talk about the good part in that passage about the Pharisees first. The good part that Jesus points out is this. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. Do and observe whatever they tell you. But not the works they do. Okay, so you're going to see throughout Matthew 23, Jesus calls them hypocrites time and time again. A hypocrite in modern day lingo is someone who knows what they shouldn't do. Sorry, knows something that they shouldn't do, but they keep on doing it, right? A hypocrite in Greek lingo is a word for a stage actor, for a play, a character in a play. So what Jesus is basically saying is like, you keep putting on masks, you get up, you play your character. But when you get off the stage, 
You're not like that character at all. You're a hypocrite. You're an actor. So that, you got to understand, we at least think like within the time that Jesus was talking, they were still using hypocrite as an actor kind of form. So Jesus was like, you guys are a bunch of actors. You get on the stage, you put on the clothes, you got the phylacteries, the fringes, all these cool things that you don't see people wearing anymore. Uh, but you got all the nice things, you're in this beautiful play, but then uh, really we all know deep down behind the curtain when you take the costume off, you're still just you and that you don't care about anything that the character you're playing cares about. That's more or less what I think Jesus means when he's calling these Pharisees hypocrites, actors. Uh, but that being said, Jesus still understands that these guys are smart. These guys study the scripture for a living. That's like their job. And so Jesus is like, look, as far as their teaching goes, listen to them. <laughs> listen to them. Now, you do see Jesus uh, kind of argue with them about some things. Uh, so they're not like completely on par with what God believes. But as far as like teaching, they're pretty good teachers. Uh, you do see Jesus call attention to the fact that sometimes they preach their own rules as, as scripture. And Jesus doesn't like that. So they're not always teaching good things. But otherwise, Jesus is kind of like, as far as like scripture goes, Moses was kind of like the teacher of old. Now, the Pharisees are your teachers. So listen to them. Do what they say. But don't do what they do. <laughs> don't do what they do because the two do not line up together. I know a lot of times people are like, well, how can I listen to someone whose moral life is corrupt, but their teaching is good? How does that work out? Well, think of it this way. Can a doctor who's very obese and smokes a pack of cigarettes every day still actually give you a surgery and make you better? Technically, I know that's kind of weird, but despite the fact that his life does not look healthy, he is a health professional and he still can help you. He can still give you guidance and even tell you what you need to do to get better. Teach you a diet that would make you better, even though he himself may not have a good diet. So that's just one analogy to think about. I'm sure you could give me some other analogies that would fight back at that. But my point is, <laughs> my point is uh, you can hear teaching and still take what's good out of that, even if the person is void of morality. And I think you see that in the secular world all the time. I come across people who definitely are not Christians, yet what they teach, I'm like, that's a good word right there. I can actually take a piece of that and and understand that and use that for, for God. Uh, and just think through, think through the scriptures. David, right? David did lots of things for God. David was anointed for God. But David also had this huge moral lapse at one point. Now, if that means that suddenly everything David said and did is completely void, then you need to go through your Psalms and rip it out of this book. And you're going to be missing quite a few pages because that's a pretty big book. But I'm serious. If you truly believe that someone with a moral lapse, that somehow that invalidates everything they've ever done and said, then take out the Psalms. Because that's basically the way that we're thinking when we say that. And I've seen that throughout the ages where someone will be like... Uh, uh, a pastor somewhere will have a moral lapse and someone's like, see, I told you, they're a heretic. Everything they ever said was a failure. I'm like, well, I don't know. The things that they've said in the past actually lines up pretty well with scripture. They're definitely messed up right now, but I don't think that like invalidates everything they've ever done. So we just need to understand like we are human beings. And in the same way, the Pharisees 
are definitely kind of morally corrupt. But at the same time, their job is to study, memorize, and teach the scriptures. And they're pretty dang good at it sometimes. And so Jesus is calling attention to some of the good stuff there despite that. But also a lot of bad. (laughs) Right? We're spending the most time in this first paragraph. Don't worry. We'll we'll speed up. Um, Jesus tells them that they make people's burdens heavy. Whereas Jesus doesn't. Right? Jesus is like, look, if you yoke up with me, I will make your burden light. If you yoke up with the Pharisees and the law, they're going to make your burden heavy and impossible to carry. So Jesus calls that out. He also says they're full of pride. They do things for the show. They're the hypocrites, the actors. They like the applause. They like the attention. Jesus talks about that all over the Gospels, how they'll walk down the street, pull, throw some money in someone's uh, um, uh, you know, cup, whatever. They're collecting money. And then pull out a trumpet. Everyone gather around and see what I have done. It's just ridiculous to think that they were this prideful, right? Uh, they like having the nice places at the party. They like being called rabbi or people today. Some of us who like being called pastor or reverend or the most reverend pastor or whatever the case might be, right? And Jesus is like, dude, I'm the rabbi. I'm the instructor. Look to me. The rest of you humility, just as I've humbled myself, bring yourself down a notch. Don't be like these guys who love being called rabbis. Just be you and serve me. And so Jesus is trying to pull them out of their pride. He's showing them where their pride is is overrunning their entire lives. And uh, it seems like everybody wants to respect them and do things for them. And... I don't know. I don't think that's the case with pastors anymore. People don't like us as much. (laughs) But back in the day, it's always like, oh, pastor, can I come to your house and fix everything in your house? And bring your car by. I'll repair everything for free. Things like that. Like, that's kind of what's going on with these Pharisees. Ah, a Pharisee. What can I do for you, good sir? Let me give you all of my time and energy because I just want to honor you. That's the kind of world that's being painted for them. And they love it. They soak it in. All right, paragraph two. But woe to you, the scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would go to enter, enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, so a convert to Phariseeism. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much the child of hell as yourselves. So Jesus paints a picture here, right? Uh, there's no like Peter at the gates of heaven, no archangel, nothing like that. It's actually the Pharisees who Jesus just called a child of hell. And they're at the gates of heaven like, oh, you can't get in here. <laughs> and the picture that's just been painted for you is like, oh, I don't think you're supposed to be here either, man. You know, but this is how the Pharisees are living. We're the ones who protect the gates of heaven. We're the ones who says who gets in and out. And Jesus is like, You don't let anyone ever in. You're always telling them that they got to do more, got to be better. You're setting these ridiculous standards for them. How often do we do that in the church? And then he's like, and you guys yourselves aren't even supposed to be here. (laughs) And then you go and you make more disciples. Apparently at the time, Pharisees were a little bit evangelical. They would go around, try to convert people, not just to Judaism, to their general faith, but to, to Phariseeism, their denomination, their sect. In their faith. They would bring people into that. And Jesus just paints this picture of how ridiculous this looks. Them trying to fend people off from a gate that's not theirs in the first place. 
Paragraph three. Thank you, Janice. (laughs) Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sits upon it. I get a little confused sometimes as to what Jesus is going through here, but here's what it seems like to me, and I, I see this in stories in my own life. It seems to me that the Pharisees are trying to use like spiritual logic or just some kind of like working through the law to get people out of oaths when they want to be out of oaths. You know, someone come up and be like, oh, I made this vow, Rabbi, but I, you know, I, I don't want to follow through with it, and I'm just thinking, you know, is there a way out of it? And it seems like the Pharisees are like, hmm, well, did you swear by the sacrifice you made or by the temple? Hmm. And for Jesus, he's like, it's the same thing, man. <laughs> you know, like a, a swear is a swear. A promise is a promise. A vow is a vow. Hold your vow. In fact, elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus says what? He says, don't even make an oath anymore. Jesus's understanding of what people who follow him should look like. He said, look, if you follow me, if you're a Christian, Here's what you should do. Just say yes or no. Yes or no. Don't say, oh, I swear by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin and my pretty floral bonnet and your stack of Bibles. The list just goes on of what people do, right? Anybody catch the Firefly reference? (laughs) Two of you? Cool. Come to Nerd Church Monday nights. Anyways, um, (laughs) where were we at? Right, so Jesus is like, you're always stacking up your promises, making them bigger and grander. You know what I want? Just a people who say that they'll do something and do it. They don't have to go to great lengths to make people think that they're going to follow through. So on one hand, Jesus is like, look, a vow is a vow. If you made a vow, keep the vow. But on the other hand, just don't make vows. Be such a person of integrity and faithfulness that you don't have to make a vow. Because when you tell someone you'll be there, you're there. As far as trying to get out of things that we vowed before, I don't know about you, but I've been there, or I've been that devil's advocate for my friend. I remember in college I had a friend who decided for Lent he was going to, I think it was once or twice a week, take a vow of silence where he didn't talk. And boy, did I have fun with that. You know? <laughs> I'd always just like kind of corner him be like, hey, man, how you doing? Yeah. Hey, uh, just say a word if you like this girl. Hmm. Oh, so you don't like her. Oh, well, you know, just like, whatever, playing whatever little games that I could. Uh, but, uh, you know, he always wanted to talk. There was plenty to talk about. And he would just often be like, I don't know, man. Do you think, like, I- I'm just, this is hard, and I don't know. Do I need to keep this? I remember for me just going through the spiritual logic. Oh, I don't know, man. Let's think about it. You know, does God believe in your heart and blah, 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 blah. You know, all this kind of stuff, right? Like I was playing kind of what the Pharisees do here. I don't know, man. Which did you swear by? The the oath or the did you swear by the temple or by the sacrifice you made? Just trying to like help with spiritual logic to undo something. How often we do that like the Pharisees though? 
God tells us to do something, we're like, well, let's twist this scripture here and move this over here. Left, right, copy, paste. Ah, that's better, right? So we do what the Pharisees do ourselves sometimes. Next paragraph, Janice. 23, thanks, Janice. Woe to you. (laughs) Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. There's an image. We'll get to that in a second. I love that image. Here again is a good thing Jesus calls out. Okay, so for a lot of us, we're like tithing. Uh, oh, see, Jesus is like tithing, not a big deal. What about justice, faith, mercy, and, and faithfulness, and things like that? Did you catch what Jesus actually did, though? He kind of comp- back, backhanded complimented them again. <laughs> it's like a, you should do that, but you should also do the weightier things of the law. So Jesus doesn't say like, dude, those things don't matter. Instead, Jesus kind of like, again, acknowledges that the Pharisees are doing something here that they need to be doing. They're tithing their, their uh, dinner church ingredients, their cumin and all these things. They're tithing all these things like the law expects them to do. Jesus doesn't have a problem with that. Jesus' problem is that they are focused on these tiny matters of the law instead of focused on these bigger matters of the law like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And he goes on to make his point with this illustration of, of straining a gnat while devouring a camel. So I never understood this until today. And you probably have always understood it and I just sound crazy. But I love the image now. I was cracking up just thinking about it. Waiter comes out with a bowl of soup and puts it on your table, and this camel just plops all over the table, right? And you're just, like, looking at this bowl of soup like, dude. <laughs> and you look up at the waiter, and you're like, there's a bug in this, <laughs> right? It's hilarious. Laugh, people. Come on. There's a gnat in my soup, sir, and just completely ignoring the fact that this camel's just laid out across your table, right? Oh, let me, sorry, let me strain that out. Mm, yes, there we go. Enjoy your soup. Thank you. And then just devouring this camel. But that's Jesus' point. It's like, you're so focused on these tiny pieces of the law. Oh, got to make sure it's cumin and dill and all these things. And you completely miss the bigger picture. You're focused on straining out a gnat while devouring a camel at the same time. All right. These next two paragraphs are basically the same thing. Janice, thank you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. So outside is dirty. Sorry. Inside is dirty. Outside is clean. It's the acting thing again. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's the same thing. You're a nice-looking tomb, but you're still dead bones. Yeah. I actually, I just wrote some fiction recently, and the way that I pictured this verse, uh, I had my Jesus character saying, like, look, there's actually a bunch of zombies out there, but they got really expensive makeup, and it's hard to tell the difference sometimes. 
because there's a zombie in this book. I know, it's kind of weird. But, you know, anyways, that's kind of another analogy that you might go with, right? It's a bunch of dead people walking around, but putting on really nice makeup to look like something much better than that. And then our last two paragraphs, which we will move through quickly. (laughs) You guys are great. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah. So in other words, like all the way from the first righteous martyr, if you will, or just first righteous person who died, all the way to the last in the Old Testament who who died. Whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Pharisees have good hindsight, right? Like, man, our ancestors killed all the prophets. We wouldn't have done that. And here's Jesus standing in front of them, a prophet who they're about to kill. Hindsight is very helpful to discern what's going on, but a lot of times we are completely oblivious of what's going on right in front of us. That actually should be a big word, because, you know, when I look at this today, there's a... If you want a strong correlation between Pharisees and today, the way that Jesus looked at the Pharisees is the way that the world looks at evangelicals today. And I'm not saying that evangelicals are bad. Just like the Pharisees, I'm sure there were good people among them. But the same kind of critiques, like you don't care about justice and mercy and faithfulness and all these things, is the same thing the world's saying, like, uh, you guys as Christians, you don't seem to care about faithfulness and mercy and justice and these kind of things. Here's kind of like this modern assumption that you see kind of blending together on us today. Where the world's calling us to live up to what Jesus asked us to live up to. To, to preach the way that, that Jesus preached. If we're truly following him. And so God sends prophets who give us strong words. Uh, and, and telling us. You know, all across the church today there are people coming saying. Christians we have to practice justice and mercy and faithfulness. And still we kill them. Again I'm, it's a blanket statement. Obviously, not every Christian, not every evangelical is this way. But in the same way that Jesus had a stereotype in his time, so a lot of people have a stereotype today. And the world is just waiting for someone to live up to what Jesus has called us to live up to. It hasn't changed very much. We still get the same criticism. And Jesus finishes it with a lament. Okay, So like we've had kind of these passionate words. Like, man, this guy, he's... He's hardcore. He doesn't calm down very much. But then Jesus just suddenly has this moment where it seems like he kind of breaks down. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, 
You will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus at the end, he's like, look, it's not all just like, it's not just all anger. I've been calling you forever. <laughs> just, just come how I would love to gather you. Like a mama chicken taking care of her little chicks. Right? Is that what a hen is? I'm right, right? <laughs> uh, the other one's a rooster. Got it. Okay. Thank you. All right. I live in the city. Um, <laughs> what were we talking about? Right. The band's going to come to the stage as I try to remember how I was going to end this. Amen. <laughs> this is the call to us. Uh, the reason I forgot my ending is because I used it early by accident. <laughs> things, things haven't changed that much. The same kind of critique that Jesus was giving the Pharisees is the same kind of critique that just imagine Jesus coming up to us as Christians today. Truth is, when you look at all of Christianity as a stereotype, which, again, stereotypes are stereotypes, right? It's not fully true. There's little pieces here and there that we would uh, understand, but not every Christian is like that. When you look at the whole world in that way, if Jesus was just to come to the modern assumption of what a, a Christian is pictured as today, Jesus would say right to our faces some of the same things they said right to the Pharisees. He didn't say it to the Pharisees, but he wouldn't say it to other people. If we were guilty of the same things, he would say it to us. Yes. So we just need to soak in words. And I gotta tell you, this part of Matthew is killing me because, like, it's just chapter after chapter after chapter of unpleasant things to hear. I'm like, let's get back to the prodigal son. Can we just go to where God loves and grace and all this? We're not even done yet. The next one's like the apocalypse. So we just keep moving forward into difficult words to to kind of dwell in. But if we skip it and just go to the pleasant things, then we live with a gospel that is not completely full and is not therefore accurate. We have to dwell with the criticism of what can be established upon us. So I welcome you into that space as the Holy Spirit just comes and dwells with us for the next 20 minutes here. Allow him to come and speak to your heart. Allow him to open up to you uh, the places where just like the Pharisees might have good and bad, so we too might have good and bad. And he comes with gentleness. He comes with love, with kindness. So don't be afraid that he's just going to like bash your head in on this. He will come and, and talk to you. And remember, like the, the harshest words he had was for these Pharisees who just completely blind all this and leading people astray. He's very kind to people in the middle of their sin. So... That being said, uh, we're going to go into some time of worship. I will be in the back corner uh, with the prayer team if you need prayer for anything. Uh, Joel is going to just be listening to the Spirit while he's up here in between songs. If he feels like there's anything God's put on his heart to invite you to get prayer for, he'll put that out there as well. Uh, but otherwise, you can take on whatever posture you like as we worship. But if you're able, would you please start by standing with us? Thanks.